Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavner here on TRSI. I'm here today with my friend and colleague Michael Dwyer. Michael, how have you been? I'm fine, thank you, Gary. How are you? Oh, I'm pretty good. There is a story in the Times about the Green Party. The Green Party, Michael, is in turmoil. You might ask, what are they in turmoil about, Michael? Is it the fact that they are propping up the Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael government, that they are basically seen as an appendage, the terrible showing in Dublin Bay South, the fact they tried to organise a party in breach of government regulations, invited thousands upon thousands of people and still couldn't get more than 200 people to show up, something like that. Maybe the power grid, maybe the fact that it looks like we're going to have rolling blackouts this winter unless some of the uh, gas plants are brought back online in time. Was it Eamon Ryan signing off on a uh, great deal of money to be spent on emergency generation of power this winter and then that falling through due to legal issues? Would you say it's any of those things that has the Green Party in internal turmoil, Michael? I'm going to guess it's the news that the Germans have launched a new power station to generate 1,052 megawatts of power, which is a very, very lot of power, and it's going to use hard coal to use it. And that the walrus that lives in Kerry is attacking boats. That's what's upsetting the Greens, Gary. It's the walrus attacking boats and the Germans opening a a coal-fired power plant. Am I right? Well, actually, I I think one of the Green ministers did get involved in the walrus thing. But that's not causing turmoil. What's causing turmoil is that a Green Party TD, Brian Ledden. Yes. So there's two separate stories here that are being presented as if they are the same story. Brian Lennon was in a WhatsApp chat and comments in that chat were made about some women involved with the Green Party. At some point, though, they may or may not have been involved and those messages were sent. And when this was reported, comments made by other people in that um, WhatsApp group were put forward as if Brian Lennon had sent, said them. Or in a way where the casual reader might look at the headline and assume Brian Ledden had made particular comments about women that it turned out he didn't make. They were made by other people and he didn't comment on them. What he did, however, say, and this is the part that's apparently causing turmoil in the Green Party, is that he called a former councillor in the party, uh, Elisa O'Donovan down in Limerick, I think, unhinged and said that she craved fame. (laughs) To give a context here, and also some of our listeners may remember, she is the lady that called the guards on the people praying, is she not? She is, and I do believe when this story was broken, she went to the guards about someone having said mean things in this WhatsApp group about her. Because she said, Michael, she had learned how important it is, if anything ever makes you feel unsafe, that you tell the guards about it. If anything ever makes you feel unsafe, you tell the guards. Oh, yeah. That is apparently causing turmoil in the Greens. Because, you know, these are awful things to say about a woman. Are they awful things to say about a woman or are they awful things to say about a human being? And more to the point, while I've heard people say they were awful things, for some reason they've decided to frame this as a particularly misogynistic event. I haven't heard people queuing up to come out and say that they were untrue or inaccurate. Uh, There are certain people on the more wildly progressive wing of the Green Party who would be more uh, comfortable with the councillor. But I think in general there was a (laughs) sort of questioning of, and he said someone is unhinged. Who did he say that about? Oh, right then. Well, I mean, 
you know, could have been worse. So who was in this WhatsApp group? Well, we don't know. We They, they said it was a, a policy group. And it sounds like there was just a bit of banter about it, Michael. But in that, they ended up talking about two women. And that was obviously terrible. It doesn't say if they... If that was the general standard of conversation, if they also talk the same way about men, if there was a bit of what you might call banter, Michael. This was a a private adult conversation where a TD described a former politician and member of the party as unhinged and fame hungry. And this is a story which is in the newspapers. I, I don't understand that. I tell you what I really don't understand is how the Greens seem to be engaged in continuing the story, in making sure the story keeps... We have another story today which says that the Green leaders are have assured the press that they are engaging with the TD in question about the slurs. What is there to engage? What conversation is there to be had? The man, in private, said something uncomplimentary, yes, but not sexist, misogynistic, racist, vulgar, offensive, about another person. I can't see what standard of decency has been offended. The one thing that might be understandable in this context that would cause offence is if there was a general agreement that what he said was not just on offence, but it was offensive because it was absolutely and obviously untrue. Nobody sees that truly untruth. Truth is is the highest, the higher value here, Gary. We would have hoped, but it's a story. It, I, I, it is yet again a, a story which I read in my newspaper, and I say to myself, why is this in my newspaper? Why is this a news story? The presentation of this was quite interesting. So when this, the original headline on this was Green TD embroiled in row over sickening series of slurs against women sickening series of slurs against women. And that turns out that actually he didn't say any of those things. Uh-huh. So they've got that. What The other stuff that happened in the WhatsApp group was there was a, there was a discussion of Councillor O'Donovan. And um, let's see. A female member of the group called Councillor O'Donovan a cunt. Wow. The, there was apparently also another uh, woman who there was a photograph of her shared in which that also had the word cunt superimposed on it in capital letters and then temporarily adopted as the group profile picture. Jeepers. That is, that word is the word which is regarded as the most offensive word in the English language. And it was two ladies. Ladies, Gary, using that kind of language. I won't be voting for the Greens if that's the kind of thing that's going on. That sort of coarseness from their female members. You expect a lady to be genteel and nice. I mean, I'm not saying that I would approve of a gentleman using that kind of language, because certainly would not. Leden said she was unhinged. Everything else seems to have come from women. So you have this terrible misogyny coming from these women in the Green Party. And I think something needs to be done to deal with that, Michael. Absolutely. I think we need quotas, Gary. Quotas. Well, we can't have quotas for women because, as we've seen from this, women can't be trusted to not treat other women terribly. So we'll just bring in men. Well, because the thing about it, if it's a man, you can criticise them when they fail without anyone saying it's misogynistic. So it'll just be easier to keep them in line. Actually, the cool thing is, we could replace the women with trans women. And that would be great because we, we know, for example, that trans women are better at being women than cis women. 
cis being the term used in this di- discourse for people who are born uh, and maintain. God Almighty, how do you have to? You have to explain these things that that people have the same sexual or gender identity that the one they were assigned at birth on the basis of their physical genitalia. That is a cis woman. I did. Uh, they they went to the they went to the person whose photo was used as the group's profile picture after having uh, the, the word uh, put across it. And she said, it was done without my consent or permission. It's probably best it was. I mean, I wouldn't... Now, Michael, I have annoyed a certain amount of people over my political life. And I, I would just prefer if every time someone wanted to call me a cunt or something of that ilk, they did not first message me to make sure I was okay with it. Just live your lives. I don't need to know how many people out there want that. Because those cis women, frankly, they're just a constant disappointment. Well, we can only hope they uh, they pick themselves up, Michael. Dust themselves down and stop using those dirty that language, really. You know. Think now, is that what your mother would be? Would you be happy if your mother heard you using language like that, ladies? Come on now. We expect better from our elected representatives. Not Fianna Fawlers, but, you know, people like you. Nice, middle-class, respectable people. Anyway. I saw an article by Katie Sheridan, which turned out to be about it, but it was called The Coarsening of Political, Public and Private Discourse Has Gone Too Far. That's about the Green Party uh, story. But when I originally saw it, I assumed Sheridan was announcing her resignation. (laughs) Why did you think that, Gary? Well, I mean, if the coarsening of political, public and private discourse has gone too far, you know, you start at home. On the the, the Marion Gate thing, which is continuing because there was a uh, there was a dull committee and Simon Coveney went to it yesterday. He told the uh, Foreign Affairs Committee all about it in excruciating detail. That was his first mistake. I listened to it in full. That was your first mistake. God, some of these people are painful. <laughs> How so, Gary? How so? There was a point at which one of the committee members clearly misheard entirely what Coveney had said. But over the course of, it felt like ten minutes, but it was probably about two, simply did not realise that he had misheard and kept repeating it while Simon Coveney told him that's not what I said over and over again. Truly, this is the cream of Irish society. Also, they have this really annoying habit of, it is now my turn to ask questions. I am going to spend the next four minutes asking a series of questions that are mostly an opportunity for me to just speak about this. You'd, you'd hope that once you got to something like a dog committee, the people would be rather more serious and substantial. But it is a fact of life with all human beings that when asked to ask a question at a public meeting... You will get three minutes and 47 seconds worth of a statement of this is what I think. And then you might, if you're lucky, get 12 seconds of a question. The worst thing is about these things, and we saw it, we saw it again yesterday, was people vir- virtually confessing almost at, t- at times. Well, I'm going to say exactly the same thing that the previous five people have said. And I could just say I agree with them. But I don't think that that would really be effective. So I'm going to spend the next four minutes repeating everything everybody else has said and making absolutely no new points or adding no new information 
or no new perspectives to this discussion. But I feel that that's a good way of passing everybody else's time. And then I'll sit down and I'll be delighted with myself. The objective of any of these meetings, anything like this, is to get through it and generate no new stories. That's all you need to do. If you're Coveney, yeah. And Coveney didn't quite manage to do that. He got close. Up to the point where he accepted that that Catherine's opponent sent him a text about the party at the uh, at the Marion Hotel. But no, no one could see it because he deleted it because he needed storage on his phone. Yeah. That one, considering this is no longer 1991 and phones have exceptional levels of storage, I'm not sure how well that played. He's a minister for foreign affairs. He's a minister of the cabinet, isn't he? So I imagine he has a business phone, Gary. But now maybe, he didn't. of course, he may have two phones. He probably should have two phones. Business phone. But I, I'm, I'm going to guess that he didn't get the, the cheapest fro- phone on the, thir- the, the 30 euro plan. But we should maybe find out. Maybe can we do a freedom of information inquiry to find out what the, uh, what the memory is of the, the minister's phone? It is a long time, Gary. It is a very, very, very long time that I had to delete my mess, my text messages on my phone. Occasionally, you know, you might realise that you have five gigs of movie that you downloaded because you're going to be on the bus. But there was a time, younger people out there may not know this, but there was a time when you get a message saying, unless you clear your message cache, you will not be able to send any more messages. You'd have to clear your message cache. So, it was a it was a dark time, Gary. It was a tough time, but it, you know it made us strong. It is a very long time ago. There is something almost I don't know naive, charming about how would one describe this this excuse, this reason for not for us not being able to see those texts. I mean, I had to clear my memory. It's very much up there, very very close to the dog ate my homework. Well, I mean, it does take after the, the long line of high-ranking Garda losing their phones. Yeah. Which happens with shocking regularity. Or at least used to. It used to happen a lot. It did. It did. What was it? Was the the, the Charlton Committee? There were meant to be um, 15 mobile phones that had been used by senior Garda. And uh, 12? 12 of them were lost? Tw- yeah, that's a lot of phones. That is terrible bad luck. Then there's, there's a curious bit in the co- in, in, in the testimony where he insists that Mr. Varadkar had no hand, act or part in Zapone's appointment, which I don't know how to take. I mean, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Is that an indictment or is that a salvation for Leo? But he at one stage does a kind of a curious thing, Gary, doesn't he? Where he basically says, and by the way, all this nonsense, I had the perfect right to appoint her without asking anybody. There was a curious element of, you know, I'm King Simon. I am the BBC. I am the <laughs> But the, the favourite bit for me wasn't, the, it wasn't the, 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 the deleting the, the important text messages and all that, because frankly, you know, it's cute, but no, it's the, rela- it's the, 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 the bit between himself and Leo. So he says he got these texts, and there were texts with himself and Sabon, there were texts with Leo. And I, I can't remember exactly what they said or when they were sent, but, you know, because they got deleted. Because, you know, I I needed, I, I was playing Angry Birds, and I've got a really high level, and I like to use the really 
So, you know, I memory problems, I don't know. However, Mr. Varadkar said last night, quote, he did not recall having any text message conversations with Mr. Coveney over the Marian event, but would have to check. Now, that's a way of saying, no, I never, he never sent me any texts. Will you, oh yeah, I'll check, yeah, 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 but glad I can guarantee you. I don't know who's dropping who in what here, but there's a very strong sense that somebody is in some, is being dropped into some shite. Leo seems to be backpedaling with a great deal of speed. Interestingly enough, if the um, messages between Zapoan and him were deemed to be official business of the government, he would have had a, a legal requirement to may, uh, keep those uh, records, to retain them. Yes. Of course, I'm sure he could say it was a, a personal event with a friend, but then he said he wasn't terribly good friends with Zapoan, so that kind of does limit it to official business. And also, <coughs> he said that Varadkar had texted him to say he'll be seeing Miss Zapoan when she was coming to Dublin. And Leo asked if there was anything he needed to know. And I texted him back to say, we're looking at a concept of a special envoy in the area of LGBT and the freedom of expression space. That was the only government. Now that is official business, Gary. That does sound like official business, doesn't it? You're informing the, the tarnished of the government of a uh, process which will have someone uh, elected to be a representative of the state. Sounds like official business. Oh, and even the even the setup. Mr. Radgar texted him to say he'd be seeing Mr. Bonnie. He asked, "Was there anything he needed to know?" Now, presumably, he's asking Simon Coveney that in his role as Minister for Foreign Affairs, not in his role as the representative of the Cork GA Association in Dublin. It's also an odd question to ask. Yes, isn't it? Is there anything I need to know, Simon? What is the relationship? between Simon Coveney and Zapone, that means he is the go-to person for information about uh, Catherine Zapone. Because it is very much, as you say, a slightly odd question. You get a con- So, Simon, is there anything I need to know? I also liked the um, where he said that he hadn't got an invite. He had received a, a text about it. Yes. But there was no formal request for him to attend. And then people went, well, can we see the text? He went, no. <laughs> no, no, can't do that. Sorry, though. What was it? He said it, was a, it wasn't It was a formal invite. It was a banner freeze frame of the event. I don't know what that means. I think he means it was a, he, somebody had sent a, uh, had a screenshot. That was how I told it. Or maybe it was a freeze frame? How would a freeze frame? I mean, I, I so freeze frame I took to be screenshot, but I, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense either. Way. Now, but there was a discussion that, not exactly a discussion, but an implication that there had been a verging on an invitation, both for her, Sapone and from Leo, but there was no invitation. But Leo, he was, as it turned out, he was out of the country anyway. So he could very honestly say, well, I, I couldn't go anyway, you know. Even if they had asked me, I couldn't have gone. They probably didn't ask me because I, I couldn't go, and they knew I couldn't go, so they didn't ask me because they did. They really like me, and I'm very popular, and everybody likes me. And I would normally get invited to really pretty with anything that's going on, so I probably wasn't invited because they knew I was going to be away. Because otherwise, it'd be all very sad, not getting invited to the party. We weren't invited to the party either, but nobody cares about that. So anyway, there's no records because those were deleted, and um, Leo may have known ahead of time. 
But none what? That something was happening. Of course, to ask the question, he probably would have already had to know that something was happening. He knew that something was... Well, Gary, I hope that Leo knew something was happening. I'd like to hope that most of the cabinet, most of the time, know that some things are happening. I think that's that's a pretty low level of expectation from our politicians, but, you know, I'm going to go for it. I hope that most of them know things are happening. And things that are happening that you would probably hope politicians are aware of, Michael... The country will soon be reopened and free, uh, a glorious day of freedom, although Michal Martin absolutely says it shouldn't be seen as a day of freedom. No, God, no, 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 no. Absolutely. Uh, did you not think it was, there's a, the, the reaction on a, from a lot of people of the announcement of what will, I'm sure, in the future become regarded as a kind of a national holiday? It'll be, you know, 22nd will go down like a feast day. It wasn't the reaction of celebration and hoo-ha and champagne pops, pops corking, or even corks popping. But there was an immediate reaction of, oh, I don't know about that. Oh, God, you have to be careful, you have to be careful. Lads, go easy now, go slow, go easy. You think that the people that it was, were being told they were, they were being let out of captivity would have reacted with a little bit more oomph and rather little less, oh, God, oh, God. We're going to be sent out into the world again. But there was a definite element of fear about it. There were some odd mixed messages, I thought. It's not to be a day of freedom. But he did say it was a day of hope. <laughs> it's a day of hope. God, that could be it. That could win a song con- European Song Contest if you write, wrote a lyric around that. So what is going to happen? Any day? Okay, tell me, tell me. What is actually going to happen on the 22nd of October? Well, there's going to be a staggered removal of restrictions between now and October the 22nd. So you're saying, as I understand what you're saying, and I understand what Michal Martin and others are saying, is most of the restrictions will be gone by the 22nd. But it's not going to be a question of a free-for-all. There still will be there still will be some restrictions operative by the 22nd. And all of this is contingent on everything else going okay in between then and now. Now, the reason I say that, you might say, well, of course it is. Because a number of countries have, and maybe foolishly, we'll see, have given a commitment. They said, okay, we're opening up now and we're not going back. Whatever happens, we will manage it but we're going to find a way of managing it which will not be locked down. I've been listening for that assurance, Gary, but I may have missed it. I don't think we've heard that from this government. On the other hand, we did hear that the prohibition on dancing is gone from September the 6th. So, suck it, Calvin. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be breaking out the party poppers quite yet. I, we are, as we speak bottom of the table in the EU regarding, or top, depending how you see it, Gary, or top, uh, cases. What will be left after October 22nd is you will still need to use a the, D, the digital COVID certificate for international travel, and you will have to wear face masks in medical settings, retail settings, and when on public transport. But no more physical distancing, no more mask wearing outdoors or indoors at private settings. Uh, events can go ahead, religious ceremonies, weddings, household gatherings. Uh, you won't have to use a vaccine certificate for domestic purposes. And nightclubs can reopen um, in full. Now, the vaccine certificates, I think, were very clearly already on the way out. How so? 
Well, there have been a load of complaints about them from various quarters. There are actual human rights issues with them. And also, as we were talking about before, Michael, the issue with booster shots undermines them massively. So, like, Israel are now no longer considering people who've had two vaccinations to be fully vaccinated. It's going to be three. And if you keep having that system where you need to go for more and more booster shots, it just becomes increasingly difficult practically for a system like that to work. Yes, and we, we even had some strong words, Gary, strong words from the Irish Council of Liberties on the subject, you know. I think they lost the room of themselves. Somebody else, they must have got out of the sherry and said some nasty things. Well, not nasty things, but moderately sort of liberty, liberal things about the uh, passports and their time-limited nature. But, as I say, I, I wouldn't... I would like to hear the words, we are not going back. We are never going to put you back in. But so far we haven't. No, no, this, this, is, this is very clearly all contingent on several other things. Uh, we may yet be put back in the box and beaten. <laughs> Why am I laughing? It's not funny. No. So the issue for this, I mean, we, we talked about it before, Michael, that you need, you need to just pick a point where you're willing to accept things, or you're never going to open. The things, the reasons that they were saying for the restrictions were never going to end. So there needed to just be a point, a date, whatever. And you had to just go, at that point, we'll do it. And they're saying it's because of vaccine take-up projected for that date, and that we're projected to be by the worst of the Delta wave. But I think it's, it's a largely arbitrary date, because a date just needed to be picked. I think that's right. And there's nothing wrong with that, Gary. I mean, you can't say that out loud publicly because it sounds like you're just doing something without any good reason. It's just an arbitrary thing. But you have to pick a date. And there is no really good thing. So you, you, you pick a date which looks reasonable, which you think will get past the sniff, the sniff test of the press and of the people. And you go and it's, it's better that they pick a date than they spend their, their, their time saying, oh, we, we can't, we can't, we can't, oh God. We can't pick a date. We just we know it's not ready. Not not yet. Not yet. They've picked a date, and we should. And Mazeltov, we should be happy that such a date. But there's no real. I mean, frankly, right now, I mean, I'm not going. I wouldn't. Shall we? As the, in that phrase that you like to use, Gary, I wouldn't. It's not a hill I'd die on. But right now, <coughs> the, the, I'm kind of skeptical about the continued use of masks. There have been since inevitably spurred on by the fact of the epidemic, the pandemic, there have been more, quite a a number more uh, studies done on the efficacy of mask wearing. And if you had to choose between social distancing and mask wearing, you're getting rid of social distancing, you're keeping mask wearing, I think that probably is slightly arseways. The evidence at the moment for the efficacy of masks is pretty weak. The progress on masks over the pandemic has been really weird. Yeah. So when the government is saying masks will hurt you, we're saying actually the evidence suggests that masks are helpful. Question of how helpful, and that may not be the case, but even if that's not the case, the cost of masking is so low compared to other civil restrictions that it's worth trying. And if it works, it works. And we go from being the extreme outlier to then the government going, no, now masks are helpful, now masks are mandatory, now all of these things with masks, and you have to sit there and go, okay, you kind of just, you're swinging wildly here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can't. To, like, wear masks outside, and stuff that just doesn't, never held up. 
But I remember even at that point, Michael, we were saying that it was likely the social distancing had caused most of the benefits. Yes. And then masks were just a little bit on top of that. And now they're coming back and saying, well, actually, we'll get rid of the social distancing, but we'll keep the masks. I'm like, I just don't think that will have the impact you think it will have. I suspect that it's not intended to have any kind of a impact as regards a public health measure. Rather, the masks in their own way are a continued symbolic reminder, if you like, that we are still in the midst of the pandemic. We still must be careful. We mustn't assume that we can now just behave willy-nilly as we always did. Even though we're being told that effectively we can, it's it's the last little thing to let go of. And it's, it, it, it has become this, that in this weird politicized pandemic, it's become the symbol. What kind of person are you? Are you the person that wears a mask? Are you the kind of person who will become incensed at the notion of having to wear a mask and will rather starve to death because they won't be allowed into any shop than wear a mask? Who believes that masks are going to... There was a study. Do you remember? I think did we mention it on the on the on on? I did just mention it to you. A study, or rather, a report, which said that people shouldn't worry about putting masks on children because there are no studies available which suggest that the masking of children actually impacts on their socialization or their language learning skills in the ages of say two to three to four. And as I said, I said to you that I no, there are no studies. You wouldn't be allowed to do such a horrible study to see if you can stunt a child's psychological, social, or educational development by forcing them to wear a mask. But they have become these these shibboleths. This is the team I'm on. This is the team you're on. And the government seems to have really adopted the mask. And it's become I don't. So it, it it will be kind. I think I suspect the last thing to go. Almost the last thing. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it's become sort of totemic, and there will be a moment where they are the mask mandates are removed, and it will be presented as this moment of everything is over and it's going back to normal now. Well, we we may even have the sight of people burning their masks in the streets and and having street parties, and that would be jolly good television. It's probably not good to politicize any health intervention to the extent that masks have been politicised, on both the pro and the anti-side. Oh, yeah, but it's been, that's been the whole thing of this. I mean, the sa- kind of sad element, when, other than the people dying and people getting sick, which is quite sad too, element of this whole thing is that the level which both sides have politicised health interventions and public health, the, the, football, the football team approach to... You know, let's wait. Let's hope that lots of people die in Sweden this week because that will mean that the Swedish model is wrong, and we're right. I I have not enjoyed, but it's provoked a certain level of amusement. The amount of people you'll take someone who died of the vaccine, like Lisa Shaw, who was a radio host in uh, England. Coroner confirmed they died due to a blood clot um, caused by the vaccine, and immediately people use that as a uh, cudgel to say that you know no one should be vaccinated vaccines are killing people and on the other side people went that is horrific that is an operationalization of that woman's death and you should be ashamed until someone who said something negative about the vaccine dies oh yeah, yeah. and then their death has to be put forward for the opposite reason and it's just 
political groups using dead people. It's ghoulish. Absolutely ghoulish. And now we know, Michael. And knowing is half the battle. Knowing is, 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 is indeed half the battle. And following the science. I always follow the science. Wherever the science goes, you look behind it three, four yards, you'll see me following away. Every time I hear that phrase, it's just... It, it, I, I just have a, like a <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. I yeah, know. Thomas Kuhn has never happened. Just also, particularly in the in the area when they say this, we follow the science. Particularly in any area involving medicine, where you're dealing with something which is new, the notion that there is any kind of a settled science. I mean, in the pandemic, we follow the science. You had the Barrington Group. The famous the Barrington Declaration, and they were all scientists, and they were very, very highly credentialed scientists, professors in Oxford, professors in, in Imperial College, all sort. I mean, some of the the top, tip top people in their field in the world, and I'm absolutely sure that they were in good faith. But I would say it turns out that they were wrong. At any one time, if you were talking, you you wanted a, an opinion about the development of the virus how it would wax, how it would wane, what the severity would be, what the infectivity would be, what the mortality rates would be, it, uh, how effective vaccines would be, how long vaccines. You, as many virologists, epidemiologists and immunologists as you had, you had that number of opinions. The notion that there is one science out there which is clear like crystal mountain water that we can just see it and go, ah, that's the science, let's trawl along after that. And also that you can derive some kind of a moral, clear moral imperative from a scientific statement is a very, very odd notion anyway. Yeah, I think one of the first things we noticed about science was that public health modelling is very bad. Very, very bad. Very bad. bad. Just horrendous. Actually, I'd say say that people who came out of this the worst are the sociologists uh, who argued that, you know, all this political stuff, Michael, and culture war stuff, were, they were just signaling mechanisms. And now there was an actual threat on a widespread basis. People would put that aside and they would just behave rationally. And yeah. everyone would come together and everyone would show how competent they were. And all of these systems would prove themselves. These you know, large-scale infrastructural systems like the EU or governments, they would prove themselves and it would be a win for the technocrats. And uh, a wonderful example of what people can yeah yeah and that just went to total shit that did not that was not that did not come out well at all i if you actually were saying who comes out worst i think that if you want you just named them in the con i would say the eu uh if anybody ever remembers it because people's memories tend to be short not just about this kind of thing but about anything but i think the eu has had an absolute dog's vomit of a pandemic yeah, and it'll keep going. But no, any time I hear, any time I hear, follow the science, my immediate thought is just your epistemology is bad, and you should feel bad. Yeah, because that's what most people feel bad about is their epistemology. More people should feel bad about their epistemology. Oh, I am such an epistemic dunce. Oh, yeah, that's that's what people feel bad about, Gary. Yep. I yeah, I know people feel bad about low level things, but they should feel bad about their epistemology. They should feel bad about saying things like follow the science. But they won't, Michael, because they're people of low character. Well, 
depends what the science tells you, Gary. On some light-hearted entertainment news, Michael. Yes. There's a comic book called Why the Last Man, and it's been in the news recently because they're doing an adaption of it. Mm-hmm. But you can probably guess why why what they've been talking about in the news recently, Michael. When I give you the plot of it, and it's well worth reading. It's a very good comic book if you're into post-apocalyptic science fiction. But the plot is that uh, on a particular day in the early 2000s, all living mammals with a Y chromosome simultaneously die, with the exception of one man and his pet monkey. Okay. And then they go and try and figure out the plague, and it's it's primarily about the, the collapse of society, and a look at the, you know, the idea that the world would be more peaceful if everything was led by women. And it's examination of that and whether or not that is actually... Um, I'm sure that's true. Yeah, likely to happen. Yeah, yeah. But, Michael, in the current... Can you guess what the issue with this with this show is in the current climate? Mm, well, of course, it's certain things to try to... The last man, the use of the word man is maybe problematic. His relationship with his monkey, the fact that it's all about him and not about everybody else. I don't know. What, what is it, Gary? The show fails to include a single non-binary or trans person. So the showrunners of the show have been doing the rounds trying to explain how it will handle transgender people. And I'll put a link to to one of the articles where they're talking about it. And it, it sounds like someone has a gun to their head. But also, they're trying to explain how in a world where everything with a Y chromosome died, exactly how this makes any sense. That is... So they've added a transgender character to it who wasn't in the um, who wasn't in the show, and there are non-binary characters now. Why? Because it was deemed that it was transphobic. Because it was it was a biologically reductionist work, Michael. Biologically reductionist work. So it was just based on that biology, was it? Was all that biology was driving the storyline? God, that's a horror story right there. Follow the science, Gary. Follow the science. You know, when when every living mammon, mammal with a Y chromosome died, that obviously included many women and intersex folk. And we are making a show that affirms that trans women are women, trans men are men, non-binary people are non-binary. And that's part of the richness of the world. Why? No, why is it rich? Why is it not actually impoverishing? You're saying trans women are women. So we have women already. How is that adding to anything? Surely it's far more interesting and far more diverse if instead of saying trans women are women you say trans women are trans women and you've got men who are men and you've got trans men who are trans men and women who are women and trans women who are trans women and that actually is diversity and that is adding to the great joy and whatever that is to the color of, of life but you're just saying trans women are women you just it's just another type of woman just a woman with a deeper voice until she gets, gets the estrogen and voice goes up. Trans men are, are, are just men and so what? Wow, how dull, how boring. How is that adding to the to anything? And how, well, you, you see, you, you're just giving me a headache doing this deliberately. But the great, the great thing about part of the plot of the comic is what happens when, if you were to just remove all men or all women, the human race goes extinct. So how do you avoid that? So a large part of it is about what would need to be done if you had a single man to actually enable the population to stabilise. And the problem there, Michael, is that because of the nature of it, 
if they introduce these characters, they'll have to go, oh yeah, that's a man. But not like the kind of man that would be useful to you now, like genetically. So it's actually not quite like a man, which actually seems quite um, what the kids might call othering, Michael. That would be very othering, very biology-based, reductionist, as you say, Gary, to go down that line. And then I think we should, I hope, hopefully they'll avoid that kind of nonsense. Yeah, but it's going for a um, TV adaption. It'll be up on FX. The comics are well worth reading, if you haven't. But I thought it was particularly interesting, because obviously that is the rage of the time, all of this sort of thing. But it makes no sense with the product they're trying to make. In fact, it's it's pretty directly opposed to the product they're going, trying to make. I absolutely believe, you know, that we, we people make predictions about the future, which are almost never right. But on this one, I am convinced that in 100 years or 200 years' time, people will read these stories and will say to themselves, what the fuck were they tripping on? I think there's a good chance they will say these things to them in Chinese or in Arabic rather than English, but they will they will be saying this. What were they tripping on? It's also you know, part of why these things are so predominant, because there's an absolute capture of the cultural background that most people don't pay attention to which is designed to push these ideas. There is, but and let's not get serious because it's not the time for that. But there is also here, surely somewhere here, Gary, there's something deeper going on, some kind of existential problem with Western man, Western civilization, Western life. We are creating these categories of problem for ourselves. It's almost as if we have run out of problems to solve, serious problems, real problems, or we have that sense about it. And they, we create these nonsenses, but also they couldn't speak, they could not speak to us unless we had become in some sense detached, fundamentally detached from any kind of a sense of a connectivity, a connection to reality or to, to, the, to the rest of the planet. These are peculiarly narcissistically human problems, utterly human. No animal is going around. Ooh, oh God, Jesus! I, I don't know. Am I am I rutting or am I rutable? Where am I? Where 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 do I where do I land on the rainbow? And we have reached a point where we have in, with incredible arrogance. It seems to me that what these people are ultimately believe is we are not animals. And actually, there is a deep anti-materialism about them, and a weird anti-bodyism out about them, because <clears throat> fundamental this notion is that your body is just a meat sack. That in some sense you, whoever you are, that there is something which is you, but that is not your body. Because otherwise, how does it make sense to say I was born in the wrong body? If your if your sex are your primary sexual characteristics like your your hormones, your testes, your penis, your your breast, your vagina, your vulva, whatever, your uterus. These are this this is how you express your sexuality. You can say no, no, that is not me. I don't understand what that me is in that sentence. It makes absolutely no sense to me. I was born in the wrong body, unless you're going to suggest that there is some kind of separate conscious sentient essence which we can call a soul or a spirit or a mind but it, which is utterly detached and separate from your body these people do not like bodies the, it is a weirdly anti-body anti-physical anti-matter anti-material attitude 
It's also fucking incoherent, weird, and I think pathological. And I think that the rejection of the body, uh, there are issues there which speak to that particular pathology. But anyway. That's Gnostics for you. That's Gnostics for you. And we'll be back with more Gnostics, I suppose. On Friday. On Friday, which of course is always a good day for Gnostics. But until then. All the best. Bye-bye.